Welcome back, everyone. Um, season five has officially begun. I can't believe we've made it this far. Uh, Alan, are you also in disbelief? No, I'm not. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm in disbelief that you and I made it this far, but, you know, other than... There you go. Yeah, so, uh, no, I, I think, you know, and, and plus you have to keep in mind that first season was as long as the second Continental Congress, so... Of course. There you go. And you know what? I can't imagine starting off another season without you saying a joke that you've used I don't know how many times. That is your go-to, the second Continental Congress compared to the first season of the Sons of History podcast. Well, it was funny the first season and the second and third, fourth. Yeah. So, you know. And, and, you know, you have to keep in mind that we have a lot of new folks listening to us, so they haven't heard me say that in the other seasons. There you so. go. That is very true. You know, um, speaking of enduring, uh, yeah, you have a very valid point. I can't believe that you've put up with me for this long. Um, doing a show, the constant insults I throw your way, uh, the belittling, uh, the just outright disrespect that I show you on an episode by episode basis. I, I salute you. I do salute you for your perseverance, your fortitude, your patience, your wisdom, your understanding. Go on. <laughs> All of that. Well, you have to keep in mind that, you know, I'm, I'm used to that at work, um, used to that in my dating life. Um, uh, you know, my priest, or God rest his soul. Although, you know, I'm only Catholic maybe half the time. Um, so, yeah, so I'm kind of used to this kind of treatment. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. So the, the benefits far outweigh the uh, consequences and the... Uh, yeah, I would I would say so. I, I I thoroughly enjoy doing the show. And speaking of doing the show, uh, this season we're gonna we're changing things up a little bit. We do have some great guests lined up. Here is the great problem of this show: is we always have too many guests to choose from that we end up not having some of the guests that could have been on the show for the season. And I think that that's a really good problem. And not just, like, these aren't just run-of-the-mill, you know, random people that we find uh, for the show. These are some of the leading historians in the country, and I would arguably say the world. I mean, this this season, we've got a few people that are going to be on the show that are out in the UK. Um, and so, it's not just a national uh, discussion, like we discuss Obviously, a ton of different things, and I'm I'm always just sort of taken aback by uh, the guests who desire to be be on the show and and have us talk to them. Yeah, you've done a great job on that, and I have to commend you. Um, you know, we would not have a show if it wasn't for your, you know, the way you run everything, director, producer, stuff like that. So uh, my, you know, uh, cheers to you. I'm uh, hi. Now, not, the day that we're recording this is the day after St. Patrick's Day, so uh, I am drinking uh, some Irish whiskey. I'm not going to say which brand, because, you know, there's... Right. Depending no on whether you're uh, Northern Ireland or whether you're from the regular Ireland, I don't want to piss off half our half our friends, so, yeah. Half? Uh, cheers to you, buddy. Yeah, cheers to you. Uh, I've got 
Mina, but it's uh, actually uh, distilled in Scotland. So it's not Irish whiskey, it's just uh, scotch. Uh, but we're going to get on with these, uh, with the episode. We don't have a guest. We're wanting to start off this season, just you and I, talking about some things that we see as quite important. Um, you put together a list of things that you wanted to discuss. It read a little bit like uh, the complaints in the Declaration of Independence, where it was just, here's what all the federal government and the institutions, federal agencies are doing, blah, 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 and all, you know, complaints against it. There are a lot of complaints that you and I have. Um, and I want to jump right into it, discussing the issues that we have with the federal government. Uh, one of the questions that you're asking is, is this federal government the very government that our founding fathers feared would take place, take power. Yes. I'm, my thoughts are that this is the federal government that the founding fathers feared. It's, um, it's you know, there, there was a group that they, were, they became known as the Anti-Federalists. Now, what they, what they did was warn us that, you know, b- before... Before 1787, you know, I don't want to go too much into the the history portion, although this is a history show, but when the 13 colonies formed the United States, one thing I do want to mention is that there were, number one, there were about 23 or 24 British colonies. It's just that these 13 happened to get together and resist uh, some of the things that uh, Britain, the British Parliament was doing. So and, and you know in the first Continental Congress Georgia wasn't even there so it was only twelve but in the second Congress there were thirteen and it was thirteen separate countries you know don't look at it as the United States or anything like that it was thirteen different countries they had their own laws they had their own religions I mean all the religions were Christian but they you know they had the Anglican Church they had the the, the Puritan Church. Um, so they, you know, Congregationalist Church now, but, um, they were all different. And in order for them to come together and form a union, a confederate, a confederation, they had to give up a little bit of their sovereignty, which they agreed to only if this government sticks to what they were granted by the, by the colonies. And then in, you know, in 1776, we had the Declaration of Independence and we, we were ruled under the Articles of Confederation. Uh, the, now, the Articles of Confederation, uh, there, were some, there, there were some problems with it, and it got bad enough that by 1787, you know, our founding fathers got together in Philadelphia to have a convention to kind of tweak the articles, to kind of fix it, you know, because, you know, we had some problems. We had the date, the debt. We had Shays' Rebellion. Um, so they're like, okay, let's let's talk about this. Let's see if we can tweak it. And what they ended up doing is is creating a constitution, which which turned our nation into from a confederation into a uh, federal republic. But in order to give up the sovereignty, many, you know, they there was a listing enumerated, I guess you want to say an, an enumerated listing, that this is what this, they called it the general government. This is what the general government can do. 
and this is all they can do. Everything else goes to the state governments. If it's not listed in the Constitution, then the federal government cannot do it. Now, there was a group called the Anti-Federalists. Anti-Federalists was, you know, like Patrick Henry, Samuel Adams, uh, Richard Henry Lee, who was the man who introduced the resolution for independence. Um, Numerous other men that were like, you know, we're afraid that we're going to go from one tyrant in London to several tyrants that are living in, say, Philadelphia at the time. So there was, there were, in the conventions, there was all this talk about, you know, the, the anti-federalists were warning everybody, this is what's going to happen if we don't tighten the rules. And, 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 you know, George Mason and many others didn't want to sign off on the Constitution until the Bill of Rights came out. But, but in, the process, in the meantime, you had men like Madison, and um, Hamilton and John Jay, who were trying to convince the people of New York, hey, look, I know what your concerns are, but, but this is what you're going to get. You don't have to worry about all this power that the federal government is going to usurp. And, you know, and it became known as the Federalist Papers. We call it the Federalist Papers today. And the Anti-Federalists had their own. And it wasn't until there was a promise of the Bill of Rights, which came out in, it was, uh, was it December 15, 1791. It was finally um, uh, ratified. In the Bill of Rights, you had the, like, the Ninth and the Tenth Amendments, which pretty much stated whatever is not in the Constitution goes to the states. And just because we have a listing of things that we can or can't do doesn't mean that all these other things that, well, if it's not listed and says we can't do it, then that means we can do it. Okay? So that's what the Ninth and Tenth Amendments were. Well, now, now our federal government, with with the collusion of many of our state governments, are, you know, allowing the federal government to do things that they never, never were intended, that the anti-federalists and even the federalists promised that it would not allow the federal government to handle, it would not allow, it would not allow them to touch. So what do you think, what do you think are the, what do you think are the main issues um, that is creating the overreach or what do you think the things that have been done by the federal government to conduct overreach um, is plaguing? What are, what are these things that are plaguing the citizens? Okay. Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of examples um, and a lot of them is going to be under what, what's known as the 14th amendment. Uh, the 14th, the, the 14th amendment has been brought into the picture and used by our Supreme court which is not supposed to touch state legislatures or, or any state laws that does not contradict or contravene what is allowed in the Constitution. State governments are supposed to have rules on religion, on, on school curriculum, on immigration. Now, naturalization is something that's covered by the Constitution, but not immigration. A state is allowed to say who is allowed in their state. The state governments are allowed to say, you know, who, what belongs, you know, the state of Texas. You know, we had an incident where uh, some of the state National Guardsmen 
closed a gate and locked it to prevent illegal aliens from coming in. And, and what does a, uh, one of the ICE people do? They come up, Border Patrol, they come up and they unlock the gate and let everybody in. That was a violation of state laws, and that was a violation of the Constitution. The, the federal government does not trump the states. The states created the federal government. The states said that it's a compact between the federal government and the states, that the federal government is supposed to only do certain things, and immigration is not one of them. So that's one example. Uh, religion, if a school has school prayer, that does not violate the federal constitution. In fact, the federal constitution isn't even supposed to touch it. You know, when the constitution was written, states had um, had their own laws regarding religion. They had their own churches. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's what we do, but it just gives an example that, you know, like prayer in school, if, if a school wants to have a prayer before um, a football game or, or a commencement, it's not, the federal government's not supposed to touch it. Abortion, now I don't want to get into the debate about abortion, but the federal government was in the right to state that abortion, the abortion laws, Roe v. Wade, was not supposed to be something that the federal government touches. It's supposed to be something that the state government touches. Now the states are supposed to debate whether abortion should be legal or illegal. It's not covered in the Constitution. If people want abortion to be a federal protection, then they're going to have to go through the amendment process. It has to be introduced by, uh, what was it? Uh, I know the, uh, the three, quarters, three quarters of the states have to approve or, or something like that. But, it, but there, we do have an amendment process. If you want to make it a, a federal right, or a right protected by the Constitution, rather, then it has to go through the convention process or, or the, uh, the ratification process, the amendment process. I think that's the the where a lot of people get confused on the difference between a federal law and an amendment. Like the the Bill of Rights and the Constitution itself was considered the law of the land. Um, and like you said, there's this there's this mentality that, um, w- like you said, whatever is not in the Constitution can be sort of sort of induced into the constitution. We can create it via federal law. Federal law is, you know, put together and it's supposed to be where states can decide, yeah, we're not, we're not abiding by this law. Now, this is sort of how it goes. Like a a federal law is passed and states, which is very common, states will decide, yeah, we're not enforcing this law, but the federal agents can enforce the law in states, which I think is is wrong. I think that that shouldn't be the case to where you are more or less taking away the sovereignty of the state. It's sort of like how you have tribes, Native American tribes that are their own countries within our states, within our country itself, right? Well, if you have an agency set up within a state that does not align with what the federal government is doing, you more or less have 
a small sovereign city, a small sovereign nation within that is called the federal government that can play the role of legislature. And this is very common within the federal agencies, play the role of legislator, executive and judicial branch against individuals. And they don't have rights. And these rights often, and I think that this is, this is what has become a very big problem in the United States when it comes to the federal government is the creation of federal agencies that you have something that is called Chevron deference, which was, I think when, I think it was sort of agreed upon, uh, it was late 20th century that it was agreed upon. Like, okay, we'll, We'll do Chevron deference, which is these people in the agencies know better than Congress and they know better than the judicial branches. So therefore, we will let them make these decisions based on environmentalism, uh, based on uh, like the FDA, uh, different things like that. When you look at these agencies, they are able to fine businesses. They're able to, uh, conduct, you know, all types of stuff like confiscation of properties outside of the constitution because they have created this avenue for these unelected bureaucracies, more or less to have the same power as if they were enumerated within the constitution. I think that is where the real danger is, is that the federal government is allowing for non-elected bureaucrats to do their dealings against the citizens of, of the country and do whatever they want to within the states, almost pretty much carte blanche. Yeah, I mean, and you know, this type of power was never granted to the uh, federal government. Now, if you if you read some of the old material that... Um, this, or the old sources, they'll call it the general government. The, the gas, gas engines, you know, cars, um, gas stoves, the um, guns. And, and, you know, and then there was the vaccine mandate. When Biden stated that, that companies over a certain amount of employees had to force their employees to get the vaccine, the so-called vaccine, that was a violation of the Constitution. And right then and there, every state governor should have said, you know, let's go, Brandon. That's what that's what every governor should have said. Every legislature in the state should have said, let's go, Brandon, because he doesn't have he doesn't he does not have the right to do that. And this is where you get to defy the president and and you know even in in uh, Federalist forty six, James Madison said, if if the general government is going to sit there and make demands that they have no right to do, you could insult the the government, you can insult the general government, um, and shame them for what they're even trying to do. And this is why I've got my Second Amendment shirt on right now, because we're getting to the point where we have to defy the. You know, the governors and the state legislators are going to have to start defying, you know, the federal government if they overreach. And, you know, now, this is this a an act of insurrection? Is it an act of rebellion? No. This is an act of demanding that the federal government complies with the Constitution. We're not going to comply. We should comply. 
when a law is passed by the federal government stating something that's that they don't have a constitutional right that's not enumerated in the Constitution for them to say. You know, this is reminiscent of the very reason why the, and I know you said it's, you know, not a rebellion or anything like that, but this is the very frustrations that our founding fathers felt for that decade plus against the British government, the king um, and parliament for treating them as if they were not British citizens, as if they did not have the rights of British, like the people who lived in England. And it's like they had practiced and were given the rights that every British citizen had for what, 150 years. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, you don't have those same rights. Well, like the ta- the taxation part, there, you know, the, the, the colonies had their own taxing authority. And it, it wasn't that, the, you know, there were some taxes like the, uh, the Sugar Act and some, and the Navigation Act, which, Okay, well, if we're going to be traveling, you know, on British ships to other British ports, okay, we can understand. But when they passed the uh, the Stamp Act and then the, um, was it the, uh, the Act, uh, I forgot the name of it, the, the, the Quartering Act. No, you, you can't do that. That, that, was, that was even against the British Constitution. Uh, and and if you notice, like if you look in, this is obviously for, you know, Listeners, if if you've never read the full Declaration of Independence where those complaints are enumerated within uh, the the document, um, all of those, well, a vast majority of those complaints are then enumerated within the Bill of Rights and sort of in the Constitution, but within the Bill of Rights. Uh, and one of those, you, you mentioned the Quartering Act of 1774. Well, that, no, the, one I'm, the one I'm talking about was 1765. Now, there was another one that came out after the Boston Tea Party, which, by right. the way, the we're, coming up on two, we're coming up on the 250th anniversary this December. But yeah, but yeah after there was because there were two of them, uh, 1765 and 1774. Right, but with the 1774 one was when they were required, where where British British soldiers could just allow themselves to go into a private home or a private business and and just shack up, you know, and just just stay there. And the people who owned the place or owned the home couldn't kick them out. And you see that within our uh, Bill of Rights, where you have, you know, you're secure in your person. You cannot just, it's like an illegal search and seizure or people can't just coming to your house. Um, and now we have obviously the warrant system. Uh, but that was always the case even before uh, 1776 broke out. Uh, so um, I just saw a dog like walk up to my walk up to my house. I, I don't know. I, I, we, got, we got dogs just running around here. Um, Is your dog in heat? Yeah, she's in heat, but... She's inside. I don't understand. Here's here's another problem with this country is we've got people down the street and the dogs are not there. I got I got nut jobs that live behind me. They're not even part of the part of the neighborhood. It's no man's land. If you ever seen 1917, well, when I peek over the fence, that's what it looks like. It's just no man's land, dead bodies everywhere. Well, these people I guess they feel sorry for the stray dogs or the dogs that, that live there. So they put out the food and the water. And so you got like these two or three stray dogs is just sitting there in the yards. And I'm like, you're not, you're not helping. If you're going to really help, 
house the dogs, like take them in, you know, or do like uh, on To Kill a Mockingbird. Shoot them? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we should have a federal law that prevents, you know, these uh, neighborhoods from taking in dogs. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Being facetious. Absolutely. <laughs> So, sorry, sorry, um, it's, the, it's the Irish whiskey. It's good stuff, man. You know, not as good as bourbon, mind you, but, you know, no offense to the Irish. Well, I just find uh, it so ironic that we as American citizens, well, a lot of them, especially those in power, like the bureaucracy is so powerful and the bureaucracy is not just those in politics or those within the agencies. I see the bureaucracy as also including academia and also including the media where they're they're the talking heads they sort of they back the play of the government which is to an extent especially with the media not supposed to be the case now obviously we know that the media does their own bidding whenever it comes to well and this is just the way it is media is typically liberal i got no problem with that I got no problem with you being like sort of on the left as long as you are pushing up against authoritarianism uh, or or the potential of that, which is sort of what we're dealing with uh, with the with the federal government. Like people want to say America is is free; they're able to like when you have a government that comes in and tells a private business. It doesn't matter how big or small that they are, that one, you have to shut down, you can no longer work, and two, you have to inject a medicine into your body, or we're going to fine you into oblivion, and then you won't have a business anymore. It's like, if that's not totalitarianism, if that's not authoritarianism, then the, then the definition has changed. And I don't know what the definition is anymore. I mean, if you see that happening in a Eastern Europe European state, you are automatically going to say, oh my gosh, that's totalitarianism. Like take, for instance, if all that took place during COVID and you've got the vaccines coming out, you've got the pandemics, you know, the, the virus going around spreading everywhere, and you've got these authoritarians, um, these either presidents or chancellors or whatever they are within their particular state, and automatically they're saying all businesses must shut down. You're like, are you kidding me? And then a vaccine comes out like everybody must take this. If that hadn't taken place in the U.S., if it hadn't taken place here, I am quite certain Liberals, conservatives, libertarians would have all in unison said that is authoritarianism and something is something is very wrong with that particular state. And yet, since it happened here, we make amends for it. We excuse it and we put it off as the, the bureau, bureaucrats constantly did, the academics constantly did people within the medical community people within the media constantly with their chirping heads saying this is to protect blah 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 this is to protect you and your family you want to kill your grandmother how you want to kill your grandfather is that what you want to do then you do this and it's like 
because it happened here, we don't call, we don't call it for what it is. That this past few years has really been dangerous to the entire American promise, the whole American idea. Well, you know, there there have been discussions of that I've heard since I was a child that, you know, how could the people of Europe or the people of Germany allow the Nazis to do the things that they did? Well, they made the Jewish people and some of the other undesirables, as they call them, the bad guy. You know, all your misfortunes are because of the Jews. All your misfortunes are because of the gypsies, um, the communists, although communism... I'm not endorsing in any way, and all right, if they're if right, they're but they they still they still itemized individuals. You know, it's it's one thing to allow someone with communist beliefs to have those beliefs and to state what he wants to state, or you know, I mean, and that, and that's permissible. I mean, that's that's uh, that's that is something that should be protected by by a constitution because it is an inalienable right to say what is Absolutely. on your mind. And if you know what in and I am, I am anti-communist. We both not are. A fan. But I will say this. Early 20th century, some of the ideas that were propagated by socialists and communists, we as a country, rightly or wrongly, adopted. Correct. So it's interesting that as much as like we are against communism, our country adopted a number of those principles over over the years, over the decades. Well, you know the uh, the the book The Jungle was uh, written by a man who was uh, he was a socialist or a communist. I'm not I'm somewhere somewhere in that range, and and not not that it was necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you know, communists just like Nazis had good ideas in some things, you know, like the Nazi Germany came out with their Autobahn and they came out with the Volkswagen. So yeah, there's a reason why we did Operation Paperclip, which to to this day, I still don't agree with, but there were, oh, I, there I'm were all for that. People. I was all for Operation Paperclip. I have yeah, absolutely I no problem with Operation Paperclip. I, I know you do. And you are now reaping the benefits of doing that. So I I don't agree, and obviously that is off topic. Well, because the Soviets would have gotten them. So no, yes. as you and I discussed, <laughs> there were it was not a binary choice. It was not either we get them or the Soviets get them. It's either we get them, the Soviets get them, or you kill them. And I would have just uh, sided with the third option. You you want to kill them? Isn't that kind of like remove due process? They are not American citizens, you idiot. <laughs> oh, okay. No, but isn't that international law that you don't murder somebody? Shouldn't you give you mean look, well, you give you give due process to to whoever. Didn't we and, didn't we have didn't we have the Nuremberg trials and in comparison to how many Nazis there were in power, the percentage that actually were put on trial is almost negligible. But see, the Nuremberg trials were not exactly, you know, completely holy. I mean, uh, I'm not saying that. That was my point. Right. That's my I, I, point. I mean, the the idea that Germany was sinking ships, commercial or military, was something we did against Japan. I mean, we sank everything that was going into Japan, and even the uh, the you know the U.S. Navy uh, admirals would testify for the German. Navy and saying, "Look, whatever you're accusing these guys of, we did it too." So there you go. Yeah, who was who was the general? 
um, who was over the the bombing of Japan. Curtis I got a guy. Le- Curt- Curtis LeMay. Curtis LeMay. Yeah. Even he said, you know what? If we were to lose this war, I would be tried as a war criminal. Correct. Because of just the firebombing. You know, Correct. And I mean, he did he did basically what the Germans did against London, Coventry, um, Rotterdam, Rotterdam, even even Guern- even Guernica uh, during the Spanish uh, Civil War. But also, I mean, also what, you know, happened to the to the Germans as well. You know, the fire, the just the constant. Was bombing it Dr- yeah, there. Dresden. Dresden got firebombed. And then and then and then we dropped a couple of nukes. You know, Tokyo, they lost like 100,000 people in one night. That was pretty, but it, yeah, we're yeah we're we're off on this one. But you know, uh, well, you know, it, it it just it just goes to goes back to you can sort of make amends for for anything, but the problem is is we are making excuses for our own subjugation, which is so bizarre to me, and we've been doing it um, incrementally, which is how everything is always done. And I don't know if you can hear, they, they, they're mowing the lawn, and that's, that's an irritant. I, I, live, I live in chaos. I got dogs visiting my porch. I got guys mowing the lawn. But ultimately, the problem is we've, we've got an incremental movement, and we've discussed this. You brought up the 14th Amendment, right? Correct. What is your, and, and then we're going to talk about the 17th Amendment, but I also want to talk about, you know, your, your, your progressive era, your uh, World War II era, the things that were done during the Great Depression, laws that were passed, and then laws that were passed, World War II, and then you've got 9-11, and then you've got the recession, uh, 2008 recession, the laws that were passed there, and then you've got the, the pandemic. Like, this has all been incremental of slowly but surely stripping away people's rights. Um, but what is your problem with the 14th Amendment specifically? Well, the problem I have with the 14th Amendment is that, like here in Texas, okay, we just, um, the Texas, the state of Texas just took over HISD, the Houston Independent School District, because they suck. I, I don't want to go into all the reasons why the uh, Houston Independent School District sucked, other than they were churning out, rather than educated kids, they were churning out little CRT activists, socialist, pro-socialist, pro-whatever activists, and um, people like Sheila Jackson Lee, who I hope to God does not become the mayor of Houston, because she, I think she's going to run, that's my prediction, but... Uh, they are going to appeal to the 14th Amendment or or via the 14th Amendment, and I think they're going to try to get the federal government involved in this because they state, you know, the, the thing about the 14th Amendment, what it is being used in so many, not just with, with uh, anchor babies, but it's also being used to dissolve state sovereignty. You have a law in any state... And if somebody doesn't like it, they're going to appeal to the Supreme Court, the federal Supreme Court, and state, look, I can do such and such in Massachusetts, or I can do such and such in Colorado or whatnot, so why can't I do it in the state of Texas? Well, the, the reason for that is is that they can, the state of Texas can create a law for any number of things that's not 
contradictory to what the Constitution gives to the federal government. And as long, you know, like, like you can't sit there and say, oh, well, you know, um, bring back slavery or anything like that, because that's in violation of the Constitution. And, you know, that that's the one good thing about the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments is that they ban const- they ban the const- they ban uh, slavery and um, gives um, everybody citizenship. There's no discrimination about citizenship, and then the right to vote, as long as you're a man. the The Nineteenth uh, Amendment came later, but um, but the Fourteenth Amendment is being used to dissolve state laws, and that's not what it was meant for. Okay, so if if I'm in the state of Texas and I can't do something here that I can do, you know, like I think gambling. I I don't think uh, gam- gambling casinos are not allowed in the fort um, in the state of Texas, but they have casinos in Louisiana. Well, you know, you can't just appeal to the Supreme Court and say, "Hey, this is not fair. I want to have a casino." No, no, the state can do what it wants. It's it's allowed. It's and and that that's where it needs to be. Removed. Otherwise, why do we have a federal republic? If you're going to remove state sovereignty, we might as well just be a republic, a consolidated national government in Washington, D.C., and do everything there. And, and, you know, and this is why many people who are against state sovereignties, they want to get rid of the electoral college. This is why they want you know, the federal government to take over certain aspects of, of industries and businesses. You know, the, the, the thing about the, uh, when the TSA took over, you know, airport security. Yeah. You, have, you have a problem? Oh, I know the solution. Let's make it a federal rule. And that's what they're trying to do. And, and, you know, in my opinion, they're trying to do that with the police right now. If, if um, you know... You have all these prosecutors, you have all these judges that releases, you have what's called the PR bond, at least we have them here in, in, in Harris County, where a PR bond, where they're like, going, okay, uh, all right, so granted, yes, you've raped people, you've killed people, um, but we're not going to look at that in this particular case, so your bond is $1. And yes, they have had $1 bonds. Okay, well, if it gets out of hand and, and the whole county goes to shit, that becomes the excuse for the federal government to take over. Same with the banking industry. Um, I'm hearing something about some digital currency that now the federal government is trying to come out because some of these banks who are spending, you know, $100 million on diversity, equity, and inclusion or to the BLM or to whatever, and then they go under because of their practices. Okay, well, the federal government comes in, and now it becomes the excuse to nationalize the banks. Right. My problem with having strict, like you mentioned the TSA, um, you have, uh, it's unaccountability. The problem with that, problem with having so many federal agencies and so much federal power on on things that are either private industry or technically public industry, but giving it to, you know, uh, giving it to the federal government is, well, that's the last, that's the last measure of accountability. When you have, a, let's say, a private company who starts 
doing something illegal, you have the local government who can step in and look into that and investigate it. Well, the local government is then accountable to the state government. And then the state government is accountable to the federal government if things just really no, go no, haywire. No, 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 they're not. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. No, it's not. As it stands right now, what? Alan. In yes, what? it is. And hold on, hold on. In what? In what? What? Let's say the FBI. The FBI will come in and investigate if something is done illegally. Uh, well, according to who? Illegal. Uh, what law? What law is being broken? Give me an example. Is it a state law or is it a federal law? No, no, we have to have this discussion because just because it's been a law doesn't mean that it's right. Might does not make right in this situation. Just because it's been a law doesn't mean that it has to stay a law. I'm not saying that. States, what I'm saying, states do not. States are okay. Not let's vassals. say. Let's say that. Hold the, on. Let's, hold hold on. on. No, are, shut up for a second and let me answer your your stupid question. Go ahead. Let's say that this private business is doing fraud. Is conducting fraud. Okay. Well, this multi-million-dollar company, and this is all hypotheticals, but that's what you want, and that's what I was giving you in the first place. A hypothetical. They are fraudulently conducting millions of—it's millions of dollars of fraud. Well, the local government comes in and investigates, and come to find out, they're in bed with that company too. So that company sort of gets off. Well, the state government comes in and starts looking at it, and they get off. But the FBI knows. Okay. We actually probably know a little bit more about this, so they come in. That's what I'm saying is like the multiple levels of accountability is a necessity. I th- I believe that that is a necessity. Is it is the is the uh, business working only within the state or is it uh, interstate? Because if it's not interstate, if it's within the state, the FBI does not have jurisdiction. Then let's say it's like Enron. And it's okay. It's then, then yes, then that it, because it's okay. an interesting. Well, that's what business. I'm saying. My point being is that if you have first and last being strictly the federal government, then there is no accountability. There are no levels of accountability. The accountability is within that circle. It's cyclical, and it's it answers to itself. That is my point is that when you have the federal government running something, they are accountable to no one but themselves. That's the problem. And that's why I say it has to come from the bottom up. There has to be the accountability, which is why I agree with, you know, how the Supreme Court or the this courts are set up. You get the district, you know, this you know the the federal courts and then you have the Supreme Court. You got the appeals courts and all those things, right? But it's the levels of account- accountability that are there. Going to your point about the Roe v. Wade, obviously that is something that should have never even gotten to the to the Supreme Court because it's not a constitutional matter. Correct. So, there are things that are done that are with as you mentioned, are without the realm of the federal government. They should not be involved. The Supreme Court should not be involved in certain decisions because they have nothing to do with the Constitution. Now, in that, the problem is 
we have gotten so far out of the range of what is constitutional, what should be decided within, you know, what is constitutional, that everything gets brought up. So now you have something like, I mentioned earlier, like Chevron deference, which is not constitutional. All it is is adding power to the federal agencies, the federal government. But it has nothing to do with the Constitution. But now it does because you're depriving people of life, liberty, and property based on something that's outside of an elected body. Therefore, the Supreme Court now has to hear those cases because they are hearing about cases that should have never been heard in the first place. And that's where the cyclical problem comes in. So right now you have, yes, you have a federal government that has gone for the past century so far out of the realms of what they should have been doing, a century plus, out of the realms of what they should be doing that now you have to course correct. You have to correct the things like, You and I discussed, uh, I think, last season, like some of the decisions that were made by the Supreme Court that sort of put the power back in the hands of the states. Like, yes, this is course correction. Should these things, like like the Roe v. Wade being overturned, that one. It's like, should these things be heard before the courts or before the Supreme Court? Absolutely not. The only reason that they're being heard is because they were heard before and they shouldn't have then, but now they got to be course corrected. That's what I was trying to say. Okay, and 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 that can be, uh, you know, I'm not a I'm not a lawyer, but I am assuming, and I'm assuming here that the overturning the Fourteenth Amendment would fix that issue, and and you can abrogate previous amendments, such as you know the Twenty First Amendment abrogated the Eighteenth Amendment, uh, which Correct. was uh, the the uh, uh, liquor. You know that you that you're not allowed it was yeah, a federal law that you can't sell or distribute or drink liquor. The problem with the Fourteenth Amendment, I I am under the impression, is the statement that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of the citizens of the United States. Is that what the what the problem is? Because. Like, I think that that is because that's like, obviously, amendment, the 14th Amendment has like several sections within it. Obviously, the first section is right. section one is, yeah, I mean, is it ne- the it, one that's it become needs, problematic. I mean, it, it needs to be it needs to be um, you, you can you can repeal it and then you can add parts of the 14th Amendment that should be kept in there, such as uh, citizenship. Um, you know, like it was written to give citizenship to uh, to blacks. I just don't understand why this, at least section one, and I think this this is probably a completely different conversation that we could have, but amendment the 14th Amendment in section one talks about, you know, no state shall deprive them of, of privileges and, and uh, that, that they're supposed to have, right? So let me reread that. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Yeah, but that should be that should be the uh, privileges that are given to the Constitution, correct? To the, to the federal government that that is protected within the federal Constitution, but state exactly because Article Four, Article Four, Section Two, the first line says the citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states, correct? Which is obviously the United States. So it's like. 
it's a reiteration of something that is already there, right? The yes. problem being during this time, obviously, 14th Amendment is passed 1868, so Civil War is just finished. Obviously, things were not being abided by that were supposed to be abided by from the very beginning. You know, it, 14th Amendment goes on to add, you know, no state shall deprive anyone of life, liberty, or property. Well, obviously, that wasn't being abided by. And you can also make the same argument um, right now. And I actually wrote an article about a year plus ago for the Epic Times comparing, you know, the arguments for slavery with the arguments of abortion. You are you are looking at, you know, during the slavery time, you had people who were saying black people aren't really completely human. They're sort of subhuman. Therefore, they're we can view them as property. Now, the Declaration of Independence obviously states all men are created equal. And that is what the whole idea of America was built upon. And therefore, you create the Constitution based on, as Abraham Lincoln said, it's a picture of, you know, gold apples in a, or it's a silver apples in a frame of gold, right? It's the combination of the two. Those are not mutually exclusive. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution go hand in hand. But if you are going to ignore arguably the most powerful statement politically or socially that's ever been written and then move forward, well, you are now ignoring that which the Declaration of Independence wrote and that which the Constitution secures. And therefore, you have it again with abortion where people are saying, you know, no, life doesn't begin. Life begins once the baby is out of the womb and if it's alive. New York actually passed that, I think, a couple of years ago, where a baby is not a human, even if it's outside of the womb, unless it's alive. It's like, so you were able to, appoint, like, we've got states that are passing these laws, like, up to the, to the right before, you know, nine months in, you can, you can kill that baby. It's not a baby. It's not a human. That's just, and you have to, you have to bend yourself over like, what is it? Like you have to do, how do they say it? You got to do mental gymnastics in order to make your point stick and it still doesn't stick. But you have people like during the, the days when we had slavery who defied logic, defied what they knew to be true in order to get what they want. And therefore, the Declaration of Independence doesn't stick. The Constitution doesn't stick. And now you've got people doing the same thing. The 14th Amendment. That's a problem. The 14th Amendment was to give, you know, black people citizenship, that they that they are citizens, that they are given the same rights as as uh, as white people, which look, that shouldn't have even been an issue. The fact that they didn't give black people um, the same rights and citizenships. Um, so. You know, yeah, that that's that's something that should be that should have even been. Cons- you know what? It's an inalienable right. It's an in any. I can't even say it. Inalienable right. It's the Irish whiskey. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I need another one. Um, but but it's it's a right that is already that's granted by God. That the right to free speech, the right to defend yourself. You know, the, the Constitution doesn't—the Constitution and the Bill of Rights does not give us these rights. 
These are rights that we've already established. These are inalienable rights that God gave us. Right. What what the but Constitution have... does is it protects those rights. It states to the governments, you can't tell, you cannot infringe on a person's right to self-defense. So that, that's what that's what the Bill of Rights and the Constitution were written. But the Fourteenth Amendment is being used to consolidate our country to dissolve the state's powers. That has, it, that's what it, it's being used in that manner, and that's where we have to fix that. The only way to fix it is to dissolve, is to you know repeal the Fourteenth Amendment and rewrite it. For what it was, what the intention was, not to be used to state that if you bring your kid, you live in, you know, from in a foreign country and you bring your your wife who is nine months pregnant, drop her off. You're not a citizen. And to drop her off in El Paso, give birth. Okay, now, now, now my child is an American citizen and we get full rights. It's not what it was intended. And, you know, there's the whole natural natural law and or, or natural citizenship that was written by our our founding fathers that was addressed um you know the, the well, to an, ex- but, to an is, extent that, that's to another that, that's another that's another discussion right i mean laws are more or less created to be broken or abused like that's just going to happen if you try your best to correct uh with prescience you know with uh you're looking forward and be like, okay, we got to adjust for every single one of those things. That law is going to be an extravagant, it's going to be out of control. It's like you can't create a law and expect people not to create loopholes around it or just strictly disobey those laws, which and, sort again, of just goes that's with what I'm saying. Again, and I'll need to stress this again. If you look at the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, the Tenth Amendment specifically stated that you know, what is not listed, what is specifically not enumerated in the Constitution or contradicts the Constitution, it belongs to the states. And the Ninth Amendment states that just because we say you can or can't do something doesn't mean that you can do it. Oh, you know, like if it if it states, well, you know, you can't do this, but it doesn't say we can't do that, then that means we can do that. No, that's what the Ninth Amendment specifically states and you have to revert to the 10th amendment which states if it's listed then you can do it if it's not listed refer to the 9th and the 10th well i know that you so undoing the 14th amendment okay possibly um it from from my money it sort of just reiterates what i pointed out in article four which is about the states um which secures people's rights under the constitution. The problem is multifold. You have activist judges who have been around for a long time, activists for the left and the right, but primarily on the left where they want to read into the law or they want to adjust accordingly and say, well, you know, and this goes to, you know, the God rest his soul, uh, Antonin Scalia, who was a longtime justice of the Supreme court uh, and he he more or less established what is practiced in many areas now as textualism. 
uh, which is taking what the law, when the law was written, however long ago, and whatever the intention was behind that law being written is how it should be read today. Not, well, according to how our society has evolved, you know, we need to change this law to fit blah, blah, blah. And I think the 14th Amendment is being used as a crutch for that in order to say, even the laws that are not in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and really doesn't even have, but we're going to take this law, let's take, for instance, we've already brought it up, abortion, and we're going to use that as a means to ensuring that all the states abide by what the federal government wants them to do. So you can undo the 14th Amendment. I think the problem is you have... A, a problem within the citizenry, you have, you know, the problem within the population and you have a problem with, with obviously lawyers who want to take on these cases and either get a lot of money or get a name. And then you also have the, the justices or, or the, 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 the judges, uh, who are wanting to reinterpret the law according to what they think should be. And we had a guy on there for a long time. at Stephen Breyer. Stephen Breyer was had that mentality. He's like, we need to fit according to what society dictates, more or less, which is very dangerous. Right. Um, well, also you look if you look at the Obamacare, you know, where the 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 um, the lawyer for uh, Obama stated that the um, Obamacare can be looked at as as a, as a tax. Because there, there's nothing in the Constitution that allows the federal government to mandate that you purchase health insurance. Well, when the, he used the taxing authority, which is in one of the, one of the, uh, uh, I know it's in one of the Bill of Rights. I, um, I can't remember which one. Whichever one was passed in 1913. It's the 16th Amendment, which is what I was going to get to. Yeah. Is. The but, but they used that. They they he he used it as an interpretation. Uh, John Roberts, the the jackass of the, uh, he he's like, oh, you know what? That that that's a reasonable argument. Okay, Obamacare is constitutional using the Sixteenth Amendment. Yeah, and if you got rid of the Sixteenth Amendment, chances are that wouldn't have, it wouldn't have uh, it wouldn't have passed. It wouldn't have gone through. Yeah. And, then, and then, I think that that's then part the of the problem, too. And then there's the 17th Amendment. Well, to the 16th Amendment, you are... The problem being is that you have this bureaucracy that continues to grow year by year, practically. Um, and how many are employed and then how many new agencies are brought out. And who's paying for it? individuals, you and I, we are paying for our own subjugation. So it's not so even so much that, like I was saying earlier, like you are, and we got to wrap up here in a minute, but not so much that you are looking at your own subjugation via what has happened, you know, let's say post 9-11, but especially like during the pandemic, like if that wasn't obvious to you that you, you are advocating for your own subjugation, then I don't know what is, but not only that, but you are also paying for it. You've been paying for it for the past 100 plus years through the 16th Amendment by saying, well, we will tax, we will tax your income. We've always, had, we've always had taxes, but now we're going to tax your income. And that is the problem is 
the money to provide, you know, employees, um, infrastructure for, for these places comes from our money. So we are paying for the federal agencies that sort of take whatever they want to. And, and, and the fact that they're taking between a quarter to half our income. Yeah. I, and we allow it. We allow it. We're, we're like, okay, we give them a quarter to half of our income. What the hell is wrong with us? That's another yeah, if, that's another story right there. I mean Exactly. I mean if you won the lottery, more than half would have to go to the to the government. Like that's that's how messed up it is. It's like it's not your it's not your money and people, you know, get so excited about, you know, whenever taxes go down a little bit. I mean, obviously that's a positive. It's better than the taxes going up. But it's like one you sh- <laughs> I say you shouldn't even have to be paying your your income tax, but you do because that was agreed upon by the nation with the 16th Amendment. Like amendments are very hard to pass. They are very difficult to pass. And people at the turn of the 20th century, which is which goes in line with what I had mentioned earlier about the media, you know, propagating for the government. Well, they created this firestorm against businesses, private industry that everybody wanted to sort of come at the the big the big players. Well, guess what? The big players hardly even pay taxes because there are so many loopholes within the tax code. So it's like we're the ones who t- Yeah. We're the ones who feel the brunt of it. So anyways, there's a there's a lot there's a lot to to look at with where we are right now. I, I wish that we did get rid of, I got, I got no problem with the 14th amendment. It's the way that it's being interpreted and abused. That's, that's why, the problem. That's why you that's have to fix it. That's why you have to fix it. And, you know, and, and we were going to bring up the 17th amendment, this, you know, the, you know, the, the founding fathers wanted the, the federal government, AKA the general government to be you know they were granted they were granted uh powers from the states and the states stated that the that 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 their state legislatures were going to elect the senators and then the you know and so the senators were beholden to the state legislatures they were not beholden to a popular vote that's what the house of representatives is for the house of representatives that's a form of of pure democracy in electing a house of uh, house of representatives, but the senators were supposed to be strictly by the state legislatures. Well, they took that power away from the state. Now that was supposed to be the senator is supposed to be like a liaison between the state government and the federal government. Well, the Seventeenth Amendment took that power away, and now the state sent the, the senators are elected just like the House of Representatives. And that would that was never, ever, ever, ever meant to be allowed by the people who debated, not only in Philadelphia, but in all the state legislatures when they were deciding, should we ratify this constitution? Because, you know, nine of the 13 states had to ratify it. And in those states, they had debates. And you had the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists going back and forth. And the Anti-Federalists Federalists were saying... 
this government, this government, you know, they're they're going to take power, they're going to usurp, they're going to step over their boundaries. And they did that with the 17th Amendment. And now, you know, the, the states are now less powerful against what the federal government can pass as laws. And that leads us to the attempt to create an amendment to abolish the Electoral College. It is an attempt for pure democracy in every aspect of our voting, which is which is very dangerous. But you also have to look at when these amendments were passed. They were passed during a time of either upheaval or a time of just economic complaints or political complaints. You have 1868 with the 14th Amendment that was passed. And like, why is this being passed? Just abide by what the Constitution already says in Article 4. So why, why, do, why recreate something and now you make it to where it's not as clear? So, and you know, you it, have it, wasn't, it wasn't even properly passed because the... Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there were so many states that didn't even get to be involved because... Yeah, they didn't participate. Well, the states were still part of the United States, and but they didn't get the chance to, you know, to vote against or for the 14th Amendment. So that the 14th Amendment was improperly uh, uh, ratified. So that also, I mean, that just goes to reiterate the point. And then you have the 16th and 17th Amendment, what was passed during the Progressive Era, uh, which was really pushed by the media, the muckrakers at the time, which was, hey, let's go against big business. And therefore, who who takes the brunt? Well, the the individual, the middle class, more or less, because we're paying we're paying a lot of the taxes. Well, anyways, and then you have the 17th Amendment it was like, oh, these states have so much. Uh, there's so much um, backroom dealing and so much corruption that we should have it to where all the people in the state vote for those senators. And it's like you you broke that down. And then you have the 26th Amendment, which was passed in 1971. You know what the 70s were like. Uh, that's Vietnam era. What does that do? That lowers the voting age from 21 to 18. And let me ask you a question. Does Have you ever met one 18-year-old who has it really figured out? The answer is no. no like, I mean, and then you've got people wanting to, to, to lower it to 16. It's like, this is, and you know why, why people were pushing for that. They were pushing it because there were so many people out in the streets, young people who were like, man, not only do they have a loud voice and they're really pushing the culture, but man, if we could get those millions of votes and they're obviously going to be on one particular side, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. So you have to also, not just what did the amendments say, when were these amendments passed? So, yeah. All right, man. Well, good stuff. Got anything else? Yeah, nullification, ignoring, defying. When uh, Biden stated you have to get the uh, vaccine, what did... Uh, was it Smokey and the Bandit? What does FO stand for? Do you know what FO means? <laughs> I think he's, yeah. The, uh, is it uh, Burt Reynolds said that to Jackie Gleason? Do you know what the letters FO stand for? Uh, that's, that's what, that's what our, our governors have to stand up and tell the federal government FO. Yeah. Anything, whether it's a gas stove, which <laughs> don't even get me started on that. The gas it's stoves. Amazing. 
the the combustible engine, uh, vaccine mandates. It no, no, you don't don't come over here and tell me I have to do this or I have to do that. And, and you know, and even the whole guns. Now the guns debate that's a, that's a separate issue in and of itself. But um, states, you know, you know when uh, when when the federal government passed the Alien and Sedition Acts, both Thomas Jefferson who wrote the Declaration of Independence, and James Madison, who pretty much is the father of the Constitution, both wrote what were known as the Virginia and the Kentucky uh, resolutions, stating that the federal government is way stepping over their boundaries, and the states just need to tell Matt, needs to tell John Adams, needs to tell the Federalists, F.O., you're not... This no, this is not your purview. This is not for you to say. You don't get to do it. We're gonna defy you. Nullification. It is an option for the states and it needs to be used. And I'll tell you right now that there are some states that use nullification. Illegal aliens. You have states that have illegal alien sanctuaries, the marijuana laws, you know, and you know what? And it it's in their right, in my opinion, on the marijuana laws. I, I, I think Absolutely states should is. tell the federal government FO. Um, because it's not – exactly. We go back to, is this constitutional? No. Yeah. You're just creating laws. We've discussed that where they tried in the late 90s to figure out how many just criminal, not civil, how many criminal laws federally we had on the books. They couldn't. They spent two years trying to account for all of them. They said, we spent all this time, we still don't know how many criminal laws we have. That is a federal government that is out of control. Yeah. And, you know, the, and if the people, and this is another reason why the, the politicians are trying to convince you to turn in your guns. They're trying to convince you, you know, you don't need these guns. You don't need that for duck hunting. Well, the, you know, the Constitution, the Second Amendment, is not relegated to duck hunting. The Second Amendment, part of the reason why it's in there to protect our rights to self-defense is also defense against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And the domestic terrorists, the domestic tyranny comes from our government. So if our government is going to sit there and convince you to turn in your gun, then when it comes to nullification and where the the federal government sends in agents or sends in its military to suppress a state that's that's you know stating no you can't do that then it's the job of every citizen to stand up and state you are going to abide by the constitution if you're going to violate the constitution then we are going to take the steps that have been endorsed by people like Madison and Jefferson to put a stop to your usurpation period there you go amen well said now if we could just get our schools our public schools and academia to to get in line but that's another problem is that kids teens late teens and early adults are being told that the federal government that's the that's where the righteous cause comes from the the federal government always has you know, your best interest at heart and history has told you, uh, no, no more than the state governments, no more than individuals, which is why you have the separation of powers, including 
the individuals through our elective processes. And that's why I am so against the, the bureaucracy of the federal agencies because it takes the power out of everybody's hands. No one is accountable except to themselves. Uh, we have no power over them. And technically, uh, even our elective, you know, our elected leaders don't. So it's, it's a big problem. So ladies and gentlemen, if you got kids in school, kids, if you're listening, um, you have to understand that the federal government has its place, but now, I mean, over a very long period of time, it has gone way out of its realm, um, of proper jurisdiction. So, all right, man. Uh, I told you, like all the stuff that you'd written down, I was like, there ain't no way. I mean, we'll have to have a 24-hour <laughs> discussion. Uh, hey, you we know, only Joe, got, Joe Rogan's shows go two to three hours, so. We only got that right there. We yeah, I noticed. We still, have, we still have the uh, the big tech, which, you yeah, know, I think we should, we should do that for another show. Yeah, we, we could do that. Maybe we could do like a Facebook Live or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, that brings our show to an end. Um, if uh, if you haven't yet, do us a favor. Leave us a rating and a review on wherever you're listening. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, please do us a favor and subscribe. Uh, like and comment. Uh, that would be great. You can visit us at thesonsofhistory.com. Over there is Alan Joachim. I am Dustin Bass. Do you have anything else you want to say, man? Did I miss anything? No, I think we covered everything. Did we cover everything on the list? Uh, Oh, arrest federal agents sent to the states to enforce unconstitutional laws. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Ron DeSantis even alluded to that. Uh, You know, I love Ron DeSantis. If we had more governors like him, then we wouldn't be having this discussion. That is so, true. Yeah, um, um, you know, and like they're about to—they're going—they're going to arrest Trump, or at least they're going to try to arrest uh, uh, former President Trump. And if—and if they do that, they're going to—you know—look, I, I can't predict what's going to happen, but uh, if if I was living in Florida, I would actually. I would treat this like a Lexington moment or, you know, I think, uh, where was it? Um, not in Plymouth. Uh, where was it where they burned the witches? I forgot. Um, help me out here. Uh, uh, that would be Salem. Salem. Okay. In Salem, in Salem, they defied the government. Uh, Lexington, they defied the government. Granted, it didn't go so well in Lexington, but it sure as hell did in Conquered. And, and in the long run. Huh? And in the long run. And in the long run. And so... You know, the, the governments are only given authority based on our consent. We consent. That's the whole John Locke thing. We consent to their power. So I think... And if anybody you're talking about, and I'll throw this in there and then we'll be done, but arresting federal agents sent to the states to un- enforce const- unconstitutional laws. Um, if you've not read on the Reds of Assistance by James Otis, uh, pull that up online. It's a relatively quick read, but he talks about how out of control the, what you would call warrants, uh, search warrants, uh, were being completely abused. And this is, uh, I think in the 1760s. So we so I think that, I think that was in 1760 revolution. or 61. And that was really the opening shot of the American revolution. John Adams was there and listened in. And that's what got it started. Yeah, brilliant stuff. So James Otis, not 
not mentioned very often, uh, but on the writs of assistance, W-R-I-T-S. So anyways, all right, man. Well, I've had a good time discussing this and I think this is just important stuff to, that we, we need to be uh, discussing. I'm looking forward to the guests that we're going to have on the show this coming uh, season, but it was nice to for you and I to have our little uh, conversation on all that is wrong and all that can be done uh, to correct some things. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this. It's uh, I know we've had these discussions over the phone, but uh, I think we need to uh, get other people in, involved and listen in and you know, have these discussions themselves without fear of being canceled. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's to you, my friend. Um, I'm finished mine, so okay. Cheers. A little bit more. Prost. Here's to your pros. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll see you later.